Welcome to The Synchronous City. This is your host, Jared McHugh. In this podcast, I interview entrepreneurs, artists, and creative people of all sorts who live in and contribute to Albuquerque, New Mexico, a place that I think of as the synchronous city itself. So in this episode, I talk with Gabrielle Sisson. Gabrielle is an entrepreneur, a healing artist, tarot card reader, astrologer, and practicing witch. Really, really interesting person. And what I enjoyed most about this conversation with Gabrielle is that she's one of those people who consistently seems to be talking from a place of practice and experience. Even when we get into topics like deep spiritual time or reincarnation in past lives, you get the sense that Gabrielle isn't just talking in a theoretical manner. She seems to be speaking from a place of, of real understanding, which is something that's rare and, and really, really interesting to come across. So if you ever want to reach out, maybe you want to be on the show sometime, my email is synchronous.city at gmail.com. All right, enjoy the episode. All right, all right, welcome to the Synchronous City podcast. This is Jared McHugh, and today I'm here with Gabriella Sisson, um, owner of Wholehearted Witch. Um, she herself is a witch, a spiritual healer, and an all-around awesome person. So what's up, Gabrielle? Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jared. <laughs> all right, so let's see. All right, so the point of this podcast is to talk to all different artists in Albuquerque, right? So, and I do think of the work that you do as, as art. It's definitely, definitely a kind of art. It's healing arts, right? So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. What exactly do you do, and, and do you view it as, as a kind of art? I absolutely view it as a kind of art, and that's actually why I present myself as a healing artist. Like, that's usually how I tag myself when I'm doing my marketing and stuff, because the truth of it is is that, like, each individual is so unique that when you're creating um, a plan of healing for a client, you're really looking at their unique background, and so it becomes this artistic rendering of putting together different modalities that work best for them and that takes both people too so it's collaborative art whoa cool i never thought about that like healing as collaborative i really like that between the healer and the person being healed right that totally. makes a lot of sense so what kind of stuff do you do you heal is it more like kind of physical ailments past traumas well the two are really very intimately connected so a lot of the stuff that I work on is many of my clients, when they come to me, they already do have physical ailments. So they'll have, and most of my clients are women. And so they'll have things going on within their menstrual cycles or within their physical bodies that are bothering them. And then those things will be super tied to how they feel about themselves, their self-esteem, how they interact with other people how they were treated as children, how they were treated by society, sometimes what's happened to them in past lives. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like peeling back all of these layers and trying to find out like what the root or core wounding is to clear it up on a spiritual level, which then leads to the physical ailment usually just sort of slowly disappearing or sometimes disappearing quite quickly. Wow, huh. Mm -hmm. That's like, I've... um a friend who over the summer she broke her uh, broke her ankle she like tripped over a root um, which was I don't know she's kind of kind of clumsy so I like don't mean to laugh but it's also kind of funny but um she told me that soon after she broke her ankle she's kind of like propped up in bed and reading a book that a friend gave her and the book was going through all these different physical ailments and then correlating those to different sort of like spiritual meanings you know and giving it a more powerful metaphorical value so for her the broken ankle was coming from a place of like unfirm grounding right metaphorically and literally she tripped over a root but at this time in her life she was also just kind of like lost and a bit confused and she had these plans that then that then got upended um so it made a lot of sense i mean is is that like something something you think about absolutely in fact that's that's the majority of the work that i do with my clients is like figuring out how those things are intertwined so we can figure out like which plants which 
spiritual practices are going to be most aligned with sort of like reparenting themselves so mm-hmm. that they don't feel unfirm in their grounding anymore if that's the root cause yeah or yeah. feel unsafe with the masculine if that's the root cause yeah. or like whatever it happens to be mm-hmm. i actually have a similar story um one of my massage mentors when she first got licensed to be a massage therapist she was working all the time to make money like working so hard and not probably not getting paid enough massage therapists are notorious for not asking for enough money for their services Mm. um and she just kept saying to herself god i just really need a break i really need a break i really need a break and she fell and broke her wrist whoa and then literally couldn't work for months because she had to wait to heal and she got sort of like what unconsciously her shadow was asking for yeah just to have a break yeah (laughs) and i love that's what i love about kind of um I guess like spiritual thinking if if I could call it that but sort of like the layering of meanings you know that that everything is kind of superimposed upon each other so you have sort of like the physical realm the literal break but then also more metaphorical realm well now this person gets to take a break right but then also the way that she kind of spoke that into existence I mean it's really interesting I think if we start to listen to what we're actually saying I mean you start to realize a lot that you actually kind of know everything that you need to know in this deeper level um you're just maybe at the unconscious level you're just not consciously aware of it even though you're constantly saying things totally and it's like i think that's the beauty of most magic in general is that we come to a place where where when we're doing magic that we start to make the unconscious conscious and so that we're actually aware of those things and what our needs yeah. are before we have to break our arm to get a break. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh man, that's cool. So, okay, so here, here's a question. Um, Cause sometimes I'll get tripped out cause I, I feel like I'll be listening to to people speak and it, and it sounds like a kind of like double speak where I'm hearing them say, I'm hearing them uh, say something in, at, at the literal level, but then also at the metaphorical, symbolic level. And it's it's strange. It, it, it's like an uncomfortable thing where, where I'll be like, do, do they realize they're saying what they're actually saying? Or am I, am I projecting that? Are they not actually saying that? Um, that's all kind of vague, but I don't know. In your experience, when, when people are speaking, are we actually constantly speaking at those dual levels without realizing it? Is that like a very common thing that we do? Well, I think the only constant is change. So probably not always, but the majority of the time, yeah. Like words mm-hmm. are spells. They're the original yeah. spells. Like that's mm-hmm. the the major way that you live your life with intention is like really watching how you're speaking both internally and externally to yourself Mm. and to others yeah yeah wow yeah i got really interested and um i got like obsessed with kurt cobain this week we were talking (laughs) before about just like what we've both been up to this week and that's what i've been up to this week i got obsessed with kurt cobain (laughs) but (laughs) just random i was never like a big nirvana fan or something it's so i don't know where it came from but i can't stop watching videos of him and like listening to his music and it's incredible because when he um during interviews like he just looks like a really sad sad guy with like a serious addiction problem you know and he's not happy and it's really sad he's just kind of chain smoking cigarettes and not looking anyone in the eye you know um but then when he when he's playing like he has this like ethereal presence just this he looks like someone out of a greek myth it's like incredible I love Kurt Cobain. But anyway, that's something I realized about about him is that um, I was watching like a performance of his and then there's so much like negative self-talk where he, he before he plays the song, it's um, The Man Who Sold the World. It's a cover of, of a David Bowie song. But before he plays it, he's like, man, I'm definitely going to screw this song up. And then he plays it flawlessly. And then one of his bandmates said, says like, wow, that came out pretty good. And then Cobain goes, shut up, you know? And it's like, <laughs> dude, just like accept, accept some, I don't know, accept some, some appreciation. But it's like, but that tells you so much about someone's kind of like internal psychology is how they speak to themselves, exactly like you're saying, how they speak to others. Well, and also to, it speaks to the fact that like we're more powerful than we're even willing to admit to ourselves. Yeah. Usually, uh-huh. and like the people that own that, 
and walk that in the world are usually the most successful because they mm. actually like know their own value. Yeah. But that doesn't real. preclude somebody from being successful just because they don't know their own value. Like Kurt was wildly successful right. as an artist. Yeah. Um, he just could never figure out how to be okay with that. Like how, yeah. to, how to actually like own his inherent genius. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, is that like, every human is flawed right so like even our greatest teachers they'll create these things that are like super beautiful and are even maybe tapping into like an otherworldly space where they're being divinely inspired right and they'll still not walk the talk right right or like be able to show up in the ways that like what they're producing like there isn't there's sometimes this like really big cognitive dissonance yeah (laughs) and that's okay too like right. Kurt created, and I love Kurt Cobain. I've always loved Kurt Cobain. So he created beautiful music. And yeah, he didn't oh, yeah. need to be anything but his flawed self to be able to do that. Right, yeah. Although, of course, I wish he had like discovered more self-love and was able to stick around and keep creating really beautiful music. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. It's sad. But yeah, so... Yeah, because I think to what you're saying, I think so much of um, why I value like art so much is because I think that's like kind of human beings at their best, you know, when we're in a when we're in a creative state. Um, I think that's just like that is sacred. That is holy. You know, we're doing what we're kind of put here to do, which is create, you know, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like the person who's doing it is like, you know, always perfect or always great. And I think that's something I used to kind of pedestalize uh, artists and in such a way that I would kind of even worship the artist and not just the art. But then you eventually realize like, no, it's just someone, just some person, you know, we're all just some person who has moments of like divinity or something. But then typically we're just kind of like, oh, we're just people, (laughs) you know? Well, in in some ways, like that's perfect, right? Like Mm -hmm. we're supposed to just be people. That's what we came here to do is Mm. to just be flawed humans. And that's not to say that like, we're not supposed to change and live and grow and do better. Like there's an ideal there, but I don't think we're supposed to like necessarily be the ideal all the time. Like we Mm. grow so much from pain and trauma and heartache. Like it shapes who we are. It helps us to like be that ideal in some ways too. Yeah. And that's where you come in. I mean, that's with your work. That's why your work is so crucial and so fundamental because you're, I think, helping guide people through those missteps, you know, and helping helping, helping people put in a new pair of eyes, essentially, so that they're seeing opportunities instead of obstacles, right? Absolutely. And so that they can also stop putting other people on pedestals and say like hey i can do that too yeah i can be a divine channel for this too Uh like we're all capable of it and it's going to come out in my own unique quirky way that's Mm -hmm. not like anybody else's medicine that's huge yeah because that's an experience that i've had pedestalizing people but then also part of that the other side of pedestalizing someone is putting yourself down right lowering yourself and thinking i'm not capable I shouldn't even try you know so for me art art itself has been kind of a healing thing because it um allowed me to just to just play and realize that you know gates are wide open you know it's not art isn't just for like a select few geniuses it's for literally everyone everyone yeah yeah Uh no I agree with that and that's like one of the biggest takeaways in like any sort of healing is getting to a place where you're like I'm just gonna allow myself to fuck up yeah. You know, allow myself to make mistakes and right. and to pursue things that do bring out that childlike joy mm-hmm. that make me like literally squirm with delight. Yeah. And how I'm gonna like go do this and it doesn't matter what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, which for you know for a lot of us it like takes a while to get there because it's mm-hmm. so culturally ingrained that like you know art or life or passion isn't for everyone that some people just like don't get to have that yeah yeah and man that's so sad i feel like i've always thought of um art as uh it's just like one aspect of like a healthy lifestyle where it's like i'm not an athlete you know you put me on like a basketball court and it's like forget it i'd be so embarrassed but 
<laughs> that doesn't mean that I shouldn't exercise occasionally, right? I mean, I, yeah. I still will go for a bike ride, go for a run, whatever, do some push-ups because that's healthy. Like, just because I'm not an athlete doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to move my body, right? But I think we have this perception with creativity that unless you're like an artist by trade or profession or by gift from God or something, <clears throat> that you're not, there's no space for creativity. You're like not allowed to to create, you know, even though it's a very healthy function to do it. And I think that gift by God is a big one that holds people back. Oh, for real? When yeah. they think that like the only way that I can be creative or the only way that I can like pursue my passion is if I was already naturally gifted at it to begin with. Yeah. But really the things that like, you know, those natural gifts and tendencies are, are great things to have, but I know quite a few people who have pursued it anyways and found so much joy and gotten so good at their chosen craft oh, just through yeah. repetition and mm -hmm. practice and like, you know, and loving it, showing up every day and choosing to love it. Yeah, yeah. Where do you yeah. think that that gift from God sort of mindset or, or fixed mindset is another way to say it. Where do you think that comes from? Is it, I, I don't know. I, just... I mean, the first thing that pops to mind is like manifest destiny. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> but like just the idea that um, certain people are chosen, right? Yeah. And I do think that like, I believe in reincarnation. And so I think that like sometimes we do things through multiple lifetimes. And when we come back the next time, like certain things just feel easier to us because mm -hmm. we've pursued them before and that can be a good for some people that can be like a good measure of like oh maybe I should continue to pursue this but we came here for variety too yeah so sometimes it's like okay I did that let me do something that's hard and that also still brings me joy mm. um yeah yeah that's super interesting yeah and I feel like with like the reincarnation thing <laughs> Here, here's a half-baked idea so part of reincarnation according to me is that <laughs> is um okay so you come within like a certain set of like boundaries right i think a lot of like karma or whatever is is these boundaries that that you're born into and maybe there's like lessons you need to learn etc etc but that doesn't mean that there's not movement within that space to to do something else you know i mean even just to make it like get, to get out of the space of reincarnation and put it just in my in this life in this day-to-day -day life i mean we all have our our patterns and our blockages and our boundaries and then it's really really freeing and liberating and healthy to break out of those patterns and just try something new like you're saying just for the just for the sake of it you know so even if it's not, you know, my karma that's forcing me to do something. It's me forcing me to do something that's really empowering. Totally. You know. And then I also think, like, yeah, we've got our karma and we also have our free will. Like, we... Right. Um, I've heard many of my spiritual teachers have said this, too, that you can come here and have a contract and get here and be like, nope, I'm not doing that. Wow. I'm going to do this instead. Right. And oh, that's, that's so okay too. Yeah. Um, and more than okay, like that's our that's our autonomy there. Yeah. Um, although I do think generally things work better for us when we kind of put ourselves in alignment with universal flow, right? Like Right. And by that I just mean that like ultimately my belief is is that we like chose this we came in and said i'm going to have these particular sets of experiences and i'm going to have this free will to sort of choose how i respond to them and how i learn and grow it's kind of like a controlled environment for soul evolution and so like a controlled environment like the river is flowing one way and you can spend your whole life trying to swim upstream if you want to but yeah it might just be easier to like let go and enjoy the ride yeah right right but it's also fun to swim up river sometimes too right i mean <laughs> if you're floating for a little too long it's kind of fun to <laughs> i think you and i both come from backgrounds where that is very true <laughs> for real yeah <laughs> so and like yeah as somebody who's like identified as a rebel and an anarchist for a lot of my life like yes <laughs> yeah hey can it... we talk about anarchy yeah we can totally talk about anarchy okay because all right so i was, I was I was wondering about anarchy the other... Well, all right, what are your thoughts on, on anarchy? Are you an anarchist? Why are you an anarchist? Um, 
I think at this point in my life that I don't necessarily identify with any particular ideology anymore. Like, I think life is supposed to be fluid. And also that, like, you know, anytime you call yourself a vegan or an anarchist or whatever it is, like, something happens that kind of, like, points you to a situation where that's not true. Yeah. And that's okay, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I had to pick an ideology, it would probably be, like, some combination of, like, socialism and anarchism because mm. i definitely believe in like autonomy and our yeah. ability to choose for ourselves what happens in our lives and also community and the ability mm-hmm. to like build healthy thriving communities where those who cannot take care of themselves are taken care of by the collective right right and i just don't see that very much in straight capitalism mm-hmm. so that's never been something that i've been very interested in right right man i was reading um uh, this guy, uh, I'm going to say his first name wrong, but it's like Jidu. I'm going to say, I'll call him Jidu. Jidu Krishnamurti. Uh, <laughs> but Krishnamurti has this book um, called The First and the Last Freedom. I started reading that's been really, really profound and eye-opening. And one of the things that has stuck with me is that um, anytime you have a belief that necessarily separates you from other people right people who don't share in that same belief um anytime you have an ideology that necessarily separates you from people who have opposing ideologies or an ideology that's just not part of that one um which is which is fine you know it's it's okay to be in sort of like the the back and forth play and disagreements and have have debates and and that's healthy that's good but I thought that was just so profound and interesting that the more you can at least soften your your attachment to a belief to an ideology the more space you have to connect with other people mm-hmm. which is actually even counterintuitive if you're trying to convince someone from you know the other side of the ideological spectrum that you're correct it actually will help you to convince them that if you're willing to loosen up on yours and not be so self-righteous about it you know i've definitely had conversations with people very close to me in the past where we totally disagreed and the more self-righteous i got the more stubborn they got the and vice versa yeah you know. but as i as i've really softened on my attachment to, to ideologies and i ask them where they're coming from um it's much softer they're, they're willing to concede much much more you know yeah i mean i think that that's that's a really big truth right that in connecting with others it's it's necessary to let go of our rigidity like that's that's actually how connection happens exactly letting Uh down boundaries and layers to be able to like really see each other oh man and that's difficult especially if you have um you know really different political ideologies of how the world works but the thing that i find really interesting is that if you get most people in a room and you just talk about care and compassion and doing like you know quote unquote the right thing Mm -hmm. um they'll usually agree on what the right thing is like Mm -hmm. if you even if you just phrase it in like the terms of like the small community actions like say your neighbor's sick and she's old and she can't go to the store what's the right thing to do in that situation and most people are going to be like oh like we're going to do a meal train or we're going to like go mm-hmm. to the grocery store for her. Or, like, you know, whether they're Republican or Democrat or anarchist or socialist right, yeah. or capitalist or whatever. Yeah. They're still going to be like, oh, like it's our responsibility to help. Yeah. No one's going to hear that and be like, no one's going to hear help the old lady next door and then be like, fucking communist, you know, like, <laughs> maybe there would, maybe there's someone out there. <laughs> Don't oh, you dare help her with her groceries. Some really wounded. <laughs> people out there that's possible (laughs) oh right for real but yeah i really like anarchy though because um this has all been this past week mercury retrograde man (laughs) (laughs) kurt cobain anarchy but um i i I kind of realized the other day that anarchy is um i feel like to be an artist is also kind of by definition to be an anarchist because anarchy is much less about chaos than it is about um self-determination right and when you are in that divine creative space where you're creating any work of art but ultimately yourself creating yourself um weaving yourself back into existence 
Yeah, weaving yourself back into existence um, without relying on, you know, an ideology or a belief or another person to save you or give you the answer. That's something really creepy about our culture. We're constantly looking to be saved, whether it's by Jesus or someone else. We're validated, I think, too. Yeah. That there's Mm -hmm. this sense of, like, not enoughness that so many of us carry that we're, like, almost afraid to be ourselves because then if we're ourselves then we lose our connection to other people because we might be judged right well yeah um and yeah i mean i guess anarchism in in a lot of ways is more about self-determination than it is about chaos Mm -hmm. ideally and then also it's like well it's the um it's the absence of of ideologies right where if you zoom out to like larger historical time i mean you know capitalism has its birth and is going to have its death communism has its birth and death uh feudalism all of these all of these different economic and political and cultural forms have their birth and have their death you know they 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 bubble up and then recede back into the uh back into the void but anarchism just can't right because anarchism is it's just the absence of those things so anarchism is itself the void which, which i think is so cool you know and i'm sure you know i'm sure someone who's um you know a political scientist would listen to this and be like man i hate this conversation it's so big but whatever man that's fine yeah i guess i've never really thought of anarchism as being the void but that does actually make a lot of sense and then it also makes sense that the cultures that have had sort of like anarcho leanings which are like a lot of indigenous cultures are cultures that like really accept and honor the void because the Mm. void i mean at least in the traditions that i come from is actually most associated with the feminine Mm. so it's like the the womb from which all things are birthed but in which nothing exists yeah well so it's that empty space that happens in many times in our lives and that's terrifying to most humans. It's death. It's rebirth. It's, yeah. you know, the, the mother of all things and the death of all things. Wow. And that's, that's a tough space to be in within ourselves. And it usually happens right before we go through big change and is like deeply related to healing. It's our ability to be in the void and to not try to go back to what we've always known mm-hmm. or rush forward until we're ready to gestate. Wow. For the appropriate <laughs> amount of time yeah, before yeah. being born. Yeah. Why do you think the void is so scary? Because it's full of possibility, you know, and change and the unknown are terrifying to humans and probably to all creatures on some level. I mean, mm-hmm. although I think animals have a less hard time with it than we do mm. with our big, highly developed brains. Um we want to know the answer you know and in the void you can't know the answer there's no knowing yeah you have to just be with it Mm -hmm. and know that what it's it's like all right so it's like our fear of death right because death is like another form of birth like we're in this womb container of life right now gestating Mm -hmm. and then we're going to someday die and death to most people is incredibly terrifying because we don't know what happens after we die just like when you're in the womb you don't know what's going to happen when you're born Uh and life is full of these processes and our ability to become comfortable within them or to feel the fear and do it anyways because it's not about repression right it's about being like this is fucking terrifying i'm scared of that Mm -hmm. and then just allowing yourself to feel that way yeah. And to learn tools to move with it and through it. Right, right, right. Can make all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. That's why everyone should hit you up for some <laughs> healing with the wholehearted witch, right? Yes. <laughs> Do you think... It's so interesting, though, thinking about, like, the void. Because it's not even, like, the void that's so scary. It's, like, the the thought of it, you know, the... 
anticipation for it you know the anxiety i think that i imagine that's true of death i mean who knows but that it's the approaching death the, the unknown like you're saying but then once you're actually dead or take your last breath or whatever i imagine it being very peaceful you're like oh finally jesus christ <laughs> that shit was crazy <laughs> 80 years oh my god you know it's probably a big exhale a big relief and then maybe even an adjustment afterwards i mean you think yeah. about new babies and i think the birth process is like probably a little bit of that release like coming into the world and being like but then you're like what is this place <laughs> like it's so light and bright and loud mm-hmm. and it takes them a while to adjust and adapt um, yeah so i don't know like i don't know what happens after death i've got some ideas but what are your ideas? <laughs> um, well, according to astrology, which I'm very much into and use in my practice quite a bit, we come here from different star systems. We're going to get way out into the woo-woo now, guys. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> um, and we stop off at each planet on our way to Earth. And we're kind of given our sort of like planetary cocktail of influences that we're going to have while we're here. So like one person might spend way more time at Saturn. And then another Mm. person might spend quite a bit of time at Mars before they end up back here. And it's kind of like a way to sort of imbue our soul with qualities that are going to help us do whatever our dharma is, whatever our life's purpose and mission is while we're here. And so honestly, like, I feel like a lot of souls come to Earth to learn to be better versions of themselves, more evolved versions of themselves, because they've got deeper work to do out there as well. We're just born into other worlds, other dimensions, where we're doing, like, I'm just going to call it angelic work. Yeah. Where we get to maybe guide other people through the same process. Uh-huh. Just like in life, you learn something, you get really good at it, and then you help to guide others. Yeah. Does the idea of that exhaust you? Does that exhaust you? I just felt exhausted just thinking like, of oh, being man. an ancestor? Yeah, just existing for thousands of years, however long, you know, millennia, millennia. That sounds exhausting. You want to know a secret? <laughs> yeah. I think it exhausts most souls. I think that's why we come here. Oh, wait, really? So we get to forget. We have to think of ourselves as brand new and tiny and little and limited. And we get to just be little limited individuals. Oh, wow. Instead of part of this great big collective. Yeah. Because I also think on the other side in the spirit realms that we're we're much more connected to source than we are now. Mm-hmm. which means that it becomes a lot harder to get to enjoy, not always, but to like get to enjoy the things that you get to enjoy when you're Earthside. Yeah, like there's something yeah. really beautiful about being tiny and limited and not getting your way all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Oh, man, that's funny. So how do you, how do you bring astrology into, into your practice? I use it... Um, in a couple different ways. Well, first of all, like my first love is the tarot. And the tarot cool. is based on astrological concepts and constructs. So it was devised as a way to be able to kind of figure out which astrological energies are present for a current person in their, for a moment in a person's life, in their current life. Um, so like each tarot card has astrological rulers. And when you start to understand that, then it becomes very easy to read them. Yeah. Um, So I use it that way uh, with my clients. We'll do tarot readings to kind of figure out what their next steps are, what their guides are trying to say to them, or like what what the root cause is of some of the like health issues they've been having. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's very sort of woven into my herbalism and plant medicine healings. And then I also will look at their birth chart. And they do this. They used to do this in all the ancient traditions that have an astrological context. The Mayans would do it. 
the Chinese would do it. On India, they do it as well. And all over the Middle East, they look at your birth chart and they figure out what your constitution is. If you have more fire, if you have more water, if you have more air. And then once you know that, then you can know what foods are better to eat for you, particularly, individually. What herbs are better to take to sort of balance out your idiosyncrasies. Mm. And um, I can even tell you, like, the people who do predictive astrology, like, what kind of partner you should have. Mm. Which is why in China and India, like, arranged marriages were so common. Because they would just look at people's astrological charts and be like, you two would be a good fit. You two will get married now. Mm. And of course, that gets tricky because astrologers are also biased. So if they're only looking at how the two people will make good money together, then that might not be the best match. Yeah. And people should have free will around those things, I believe. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Can we can we do a recorded tarot reading? Uh, we could if I had my cards with me, but they're at home. I have my. Wait, can you only use your... I have my, uh... I have the right or weight ones. You can say no. We can do a three-card reading. Okay. Using the right or weight ones. You okay, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah, let me find them. Okay. Pull deck. Do you like the Rider Waite ones or no? The Rider Waite deck is a really great beginner's deck, and it's most associated with the Golden Dawn. I personally, being the rebel that I am, love Aleister Crowley's deck. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think it's the best, and it's the one that I use the most in my practice. I also have uh, Norbert Losh's deck, which is basically... I like to call it David Bowie tarot because it's from the 80s and it's got oh, yeah, you me hilarious images. Um, <laughs> every person in it just looks like a different David Bowie archetype, <laughs> um, which awesome. makes me incredibly happy. I don't always use it with my clients, though, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> quite fabulous. Um, it is. Yeah, I remember that. It's all these like beautiful androgynes, like... Who definitely look like they could have been, like, coked out at a disco, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Extras in a David Bowie music video. (laughs) So right now, I'm just going through and turning the cards so they're all facing the same direction to sort of clear the deck so that we know that whatever questions we ask of it are about this current time and not about past readings. Oh, wow. Which is like one really easy way to clear your deck. Um, another easy way to clear your deck is to like wipe each card with rose water or to like burn smudge and pass the cards through the smudge a few times. But this way doesn't require anything else but your hands. It's always good to know. It just takes a minute. Let's see. Do you think there's been like a uh, a resurgence of interest in, I guess, occult sort of topics and activities in recent years? Or has it always been around and I, I just didn't realize that until recently? Um, both. I think it's always been around, but I think that up until 150 years ago, it wasn't even safe to openly discuss. Like, Aleister Crowley was in the... 30s 40s 50s and he was ballsy for his time yeah um and he was a a deeply flawed individual but as many people will tell you on the internet (laughs) um (laughs) but what he did at that time was he sort of brought paganism and occult ideas to the forefront in a way that it hadn't in a really long time because of the church basically yeah so witch burnings were happening up until 200 years ago which is just like not that long ago. Yeah, yeah. So we've only been safe to be out out and proud for the last two centuries and then not even really till the last like 50 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's always been there, but it's been very hidden, very secret, very protected 
And now we don't have to do that, but the, the cultural trauma is still really there. And you'll see that, like, that's one of the main ways that you can know that you're a witch, actually, is what I think, is that if you have a really hard time speaking your truth, you have a deep fear that you're going to be ostracized or hurt in some way Man. for being openly honest about the way that you feel and believe. I think I'm a witch. I think you are, too. <laughs> All right, what are we doing a reading on? I don't know. Um... Should we do one for the individual or should we do one for the collective? Oh, interesting. Uh, let's do collective. Okay. Hmm. What's the biggest collective thing that we're facing right now? Mars. <laughs> the tower! <laughs> <laughs> Um, I feel this one. I mean, so the tower is based upon the, the ancient myth of the Tower of Babel. Mm. And basically, it's when divinity comes through and forcibly removes things from our lives that we no longer need but are still kind of grasping onto. Oh, wow. Um, and damn, is that ever happening collectively this year, right? Like, if you think about the pandemic and all the politics in the United States over the last year, like, we're being really forced to look at, like, systemic racism and um, also just, like, with the pandemic, like, worker policy and how, like, mm. we all work so hard for so little money and then we were all just given this big break. <laughs> like, go home and do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And obviously there are populations that are being affected like really adversely by that. Um, which is an important thing to remember. But yeah, I'd say collectively we're definitely going through a tower moment. And the tower also has to do with um, well, miscommunication and isolation too. You know? you know, if it's coming from the Tower of Babel, that's totally hubris and then miscommunication and all the different languages being because it's like the idea that before that we all spoke one language and could communicate perfectly yeah yeah and the tower always makes me think of the internet actually that it's it's (laughs) like so much ease of access but so easily misconstrued yeah exactly yeah because like the tower of babel they were celebrating you know human accomplishment and it was everyone spoke the same language and, and the internet kind of initially sort of was that you know just like it made it so that literally everyone in the world well who has access to the internet is able to communicate with one another or even like you look at um you know google translate it's so easy to communicate but we're also seeing the reverse side of that where there's just no communication now no in-person communication or where people are saying all the things that they wouldn't say in person Right. I yeah. know. Or, or and then all of the the social media accounts where we're only portraying the best parts of our lives, and so then mm-hmm. we're all cross comparison and being like, "Wow, I suck!" Like yeah. in comparison to this beautifully NG. curated yeah. fake thing. Right. Right. My life is shit. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> Which just isn't true. Yeah. Yeah. Misinformation. Right. I mean. Ugh. Yeah, and that is sort of what the the tower is very representative of. Uh, a shocking event that then afterwards brings something new in. It creates space. It creates space in your life that maybe you weren't even looking to, to create. It's sort of like divine intervention. Yeah, it's kind of like a forest burns down and then, you know, all these ground level plants and saplings are able to to and grow. it's kind of like what we were talking about before like if you're constantly going around hey i need a break i need a break i need a break but you're not actually taking a break yeah then you're more likely to experience a tower moment mm. which collectively has been what's happening right you have all these people saying like hey right. i need to be better cared for uh-huh. i need to be valued i need to be seen um and we're not doing that collectively right and so then it turns into this big abrupt cataclysmic event that makes us do the work, whether we're willing to or not. It's it's the Earth's way of co- uh, um, 
It's the Earth's way of redirecting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so shall we draw a card for uh, what we can each individually do? Like what energies we should be trying to call in to be the healing balm for the world? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. <laughs> oh, I love this card. <clears throat> um, and this is really true for the work that I do, too. So the Queen of Cups. So Cups rules water and the emotions, and the court cards represent uh, various levels of mastery of this area of our lives. So the princesses are usually like, or the pages are usually like playful so it's like the beginning of a journey where you're just kind of like playing around and learning how to get good at something and then the knights <clears throat> or princes are about taking action and maybe you're like and the princes are really headstrong like when they come up it's like you're gonna be taking a lot of action and a lot of it's not gonna be very good but yeah. you're still learning um and then the queens represent like really embodying the feminine half of reality and it's like you've got full mastery over one side of it and the kings are the the other side of the coin. And so for the Queen of Cups, like this energy is like super about nurturing, nurturance, being really gentle and and really into your emotional body. And um yeah, just like all the parts of society that like we honestly kind of shit on as a culture. Mm. Where we're like, oh yeah, like motherhood, not something that we give a lot of value to. Like the work, the emotional labor of women, not something that we give a lot of value to culturally. And the Queen of Cups, like that's the area that she rules is like emotional labor and like being really good and in tune with your emotions and also like seeing them as sacred, mm -hmm. not judging them. And, and being able to do that with others too and bringing them into a space of like unconditional love and nurturance. Mm-hmm. Um, this is actually as an aside this is the card that I drew for the the place that I'm moving into oh cool so that's pretty dope that's like what my home space is supposed to represent right now that is very nice um, yeah I think really good ways to embody the queen of cups is <clears throat> to get really clear on what emotions you're experiencing and to not judge yourself for them and uh, to provide yourself with emotional outlets, whatever that means. So like, and usually creative ones. So like dance would be a really good thing to go with the Queen of Cups. to so like move energy through your body, um, making art of any kind and just caring for one another, caring for your community. Cool. Pretty simple answer to a complex problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like it usually is simple answers yeah and coming back to those simple things again and again mm -hmm. yeah it's like what we were talking about earlier with the the trying new things for the sake of trying them i think the other important thing to remember when we're doing that is that we're literally wired most of us for not trying and so the first few times and you know maybe even the first 50 times or 100 times that you do something new you're literally rewiring a neural pathway right and so and there are things that you can do definitely to make that an easier process but some of it is just about like coming back to it again and again and knowing that like each time the groove is going to be deeper mm -hmm. yeah and just trusting that right which is going to allow for just like water it like carves it out mm -hmm. slowly but surely over time and that's definitely the energy of the Queen of Cups too. She's she's like water. She's like water. You know, she's yeah. just like carving the path, like yeah. one rivulet at a time. Just persistence, yeah. Making the groove deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I think for the third card. Oh, maybe something along the lines of, what does the future hold? the next year or so death <laughs> we're gonna find out <laughs> oh, oh that's very nicer <laughs> beautiful uh so we pulled the star 
And I love this card, um, the star. And hilariously, we are in the time of Aquarius right now. And the star is definitely an Aquarian card. Um, we had this last week, like almost all the major planets were in Aquarius. We had a stellium, which means that like many of the planets were in the same place. Um, and we had a stellium in Aquarius, which is kind of intense because Aquarius is about community and forward progress. So to have that many planets in Aquarius brings a lot of self-reflection, which can be exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens when we're willing to like stick with that energy is that we become, we literally become the light that we want to see in the world. We live the star. We are the star. And we bring that light to everyone around us. And it's really, it's just like the Queen of Cups. It's like with staying with those emotional, with that emotional maturity and that emotional development until you get to a point where you can also guide others, which is what the stars do. Like they guide us. There are navigation Mm. points. There are the way that we see in the dark. We see in the void that we see in those dark spaces. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, like, if you listen to traditional astrology, like, we literally are stars. We're stardust. We come down. Our souls come down from different star systems, picking up emanations from each of the planets before we take our first breath on Earth. And our little star soul comes into our body and shines out through our hearts if we allow it to. If we do the work to sort of, like, unpeel all those layers of social programming and genetic programming and uh, past life karma etc etc then we ourselves become that star body right right there's hope there's hope (laughs) yeah there's always hope yeah cool that was beautiful though thanks my first love the tarot (laughs) there it is cool but that was an awesome conversation Gabrielle Sisson everyone the wholehearted <laughs> witch um, so where can people find you if they're, if they're looking to get in touch so I have an Instagram page it's uh, Instagram it's at the wholehearted at wholehearted witch just one word without the the in front and then my website is thewholeheartedwitch.com <laughs> so All those right. are the two best places cool cool sounds good Well, thanks for coming through. Yeah, it was lovely talking to you.